If you guys haven't heard by now, yeah, this is the Nick Frazier podcast, and you're getting the best genuine content out there. Right, fellas? Sure. Agreed. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Nick Frazier Podcast. Uh, I have on a really awesome guest today. His name is Jim White. A lot of people might know him from the sports scene here in Nashville. Uh, he's a Nashville native through and through. Jim, how are you today? I'm doing great, Nick. Hope you're having a good day. I am. I'm very excited for you to come on the podcast. You know, this is a part of the uh, Nashville sports series that I kind of I talked to you about off uh, off the podcast. So greatly appreciate you coming on. And uh, we're going to get into it a little bit. We're going to talk a little bit of your journey with the industry and, you know, just kind of what led you to where you're at now. Uh, you know, your job with the Titans and working for them. And I assume that's kind of one of your big dream jobs, I assume, right? Yeah, I never thought it would develop like it did. I mean, I, I kind of got into the sports writing uh, business, for, for, you know, out of college, uh, kind of, you know, found out that's what I wanted to do really late in my college experience and start working for the school newspaper and then uh, transitioned into working part-time at the Tennessean many years ago, worked another full-time job at the time. We can, we can get into more of that if you want to, but, uh, you know, when I was covering the Titans for the Tennessean, I never really thought I would end up working for the team, but that's kind of the way things happen. That's the way, you know, the business, you know, the industry kind of led me and it's been a good career choice for me. I enjoy doing it, you know, covering, you know, working for the hometown NFL team, which I never thought would happen. I was growing up in town. Yeah. You know, that was one thing that really stood out to me is that I wanted somebody to have on as a guest that would really represent Nashville in the best way possible. And I was like, I mean, Jim White just seems like the 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 number one person to be on on the podcast for it because you know, being a Nashville native, it, it to me it brings it rings true to home. Like it's cool to represent your own city and your own industry, you know. Yeah, and I've considered myself very lucky because you know, I know a lot of people that cover the Titans, you know, here in town or from somewhere else. I've got a lot of friends across the league. You know, that, that are working covering NFL teams and, you know, very rare when one of them is a, a native of that city. I did. I was born in Nashville, went to grade school here, started off at Christ the King. And then my family moved. I went to St. Henry's great, you know, for, for uh, you know, fourth through eighth. And then I went to Father Ryan and and uh, and never dreamed. Then I grew up a fan of the Buffalo Bills because I loved OJ, you know, back in the seventies, it's tough to say that now after his, what kind of trend happened in his life, but I was a Bills fan in Nashville. I never thought there'd be an NFL team here in the city. And, and then, you know, went to college at the university of Tennessee. I'm a Vanderbilt fan. I got a Vanderbilt hat on. You see now, and part of the reason I'm a Vanderbilt fan is again, I'm a Nashville native father. Ryan at the time was on Elliston place right across the street from Vanderbilt. And for the longest time, the only thing in town was, you know, Vanderbilt football and basketball. The baseball program wasn't much way back in the day. And, you know, the sounds were in town, the Nashville Knights, you know, small college, but you didn't have the Predators and you didn't have the, didn't have the Titans. And uh, so it just got, I, I was fortunate that at the time when I got out of college, uh, you know, and started working for the Tennessean uh, in the 90s was a time, you know, during that time, you know, professional teams started coming to the city. And, 
got a big break in 99 when the Titans came to town and had an editor that believed in me because I'd worked part-time at the paper for many years up until that point and, and had worked full-time a couple of years. And I said, hey, how would you like to cover the Titans and the Predators? And I didn't know anything about hockey. I mean, I, I, I actually, I'm not lying when I told you when I tell you that I bought a hockey for dummies book, and uh, and then I had buddies of mine, you know, John Glennon, who you know has been in the scene for a long time. A guy named David Beauclair, who's covered the Predators for a long time. Those guys literally taught me about the sport of hockey. Uh, I knew about football, so I covered you know the Titans and Predators both for a couple of years. The Titans got so big that I spent most of my time covering the Titans, you know, in 99 and 2000 before, you know, I got a chance to be the beat guy for the paper. And then I've been exclusively Titans since and worked for the newspaper from 2001, you know, worked for the newspaper covering the Titans from 99 to 2014. But after being, you know, the beat guy for 2001 to 2014, the Titans came to me and, you know, asked if I was interested in working for the team. You know, again, it's not something I can say that I ever, you know, had on my bucket list because I, I'm the newspaper guy. I grew up in the newspaper industry. I loved working for the newspaper. And working for the team was really against anything that I, um, you know, had in mind because, it's, you know, it's, it's a different job that made the transition. And certainly there have been, you know, adjustments I've had to make and how I cover the team and, 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 how I handle things on a day-to-day basis, but it's been a great uh, job for me. I've been really lucky. People have been very good to me. I love working for the Titans and, uh, you know, I love all the people I've been able to meet and and, uh, and develop friendships with along the way because of that opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you, you gave out a lot of information right there, Jim, and it, it, there's a lot to cover on all that because, you know, you mentioned you're a big newspaper guy and, you know, you, you mentioned way, way before you got into all this that you were a, a two-job kind of guy when you got into working in the newspaper industry. What was that other job? What Was it was it kind of hard to balance both things when you had a passion for one thing and maybe not a passion for the other job? Yeah, that's a good question, and uh, and this is really kind of shows you how you kind of how I had to pay my dues, uh, you know, to kind of get to where I am today. Because I, I have a lot of people that'll ask me, you know, straight out of college, hey, I'd love to to have your job. You know, what can I what can I do to get it? And <laughs> I don't want to say anybody should follow my path because my path was a long one to get to where I am. But it just shows you that I was willing to work to 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 try to get to you know, a job that I wanted to have. And that was, you know, having the best job at the paper. And then I now consider myself to have the best job in Nashville writing for the Titans. But when I, I, again, I mentioned I went to the University of Tennessee. I changed my, my, my father's a criminal court judge in Nashville. I uh, was, a, was a general sessions judge for a while. And then he was a criminal court judge after that. He was a judge for 43 years in Nashville. And uh, so growing up, you know, there, I had kind of law in my background. Uh, I thought maybe I wanted to follow in my father's footsteps and maybe go down, you know, that path. You know, he was a police officer first and then FBI agent. And then he eventually started working, uh, got himself in a position where he became a judge. But I first started, my first major was criminal justice in college. 
And, uh, and I have to say, if I'm going to give you my full path, I actually started off at UT Martin and then I transferred up to UT Knoxville. So when I started off at UT Martin, uh, I was a criminal justice major and I liked it, but it wasn't really a passion. I, I just didn't really, after a year, I realized that that's not what I wanted to do. I, tr- I switched my major to broadcasting at that point. I, I knew I liked sports and thought, you know, maybe I would uh, try to get into you know broadcasting or doing something maybe on the radio. Uh, this is long before podcasts and long before what the media scene looks like now. But um, I did that for a while and liked it. But then, you know, it's still, I don't know if it was necessarily what I had in mind. I transferred to Knoxville. Um enjoyed my time up there. Uh, along the way, I changed my major again. I kind of knew at that point that, hey, I, I like to write. I thought I might write children's books. If I've got two kids, when you know, my daughter, Sydney, went to Father Ryan with her, and, and I used to read make-up stories to them, bedtime stories uh, about a frog named Bert. And <laughs> I used to tell them Bert stories when they were kids, and I thought maybe, okay, I may – write children's books uh after they kind of encouraged me to do it i enjoy doing that so changed my major to english i took some children's classes you know write children's books took a lot of other english literature classes and uh and that became my major and i thought if okay if i don't get into sports maybe i you know write children's books write books do something along those lines but right before i got out of school at ut i started uh, I thought, you know, I might give a shot working for the school newspapers. The Daily Beacon was the school newspaper. Still, is the school newspaper at UT Knoxville today. I wrote maybe three or four stories, you know, for the Beacon. Got a couple of bylines. And I think just from that short experience, my last semester in school, I thought, you know, this is something I would think I'd like to pursue when I got out of school. I didn't know what else I was going to do. Um, so I was I was really just looking for something that maybe I could strive for. I had worked a full time. I had worked a part time job during the summers when I was in college at a place called the Register of Deeds. It was in the courthouse. Again, I mentioned my father was a judge. He worked in the courthouse. He knew Felix Z. Wilson, who was the Register of Deeds at the time. He got me a summer job where I you know, just did odds and ends stuff, helped the general public. Uh, with property deeds and mortgages and tax liens and and anything related to real estate. And when I got out of college, they hired me full time. It was a 40 hour job. I worked eight to four twenty five every day. Uh, and then I started working at the newspaper part time. And I'm not talking about I came in and started writing stories. I came in and answered the phone uh, there and I took hole in ones and I took bowling scores over the phone and I, uh, you know, covered, you know, took track scores. That's what it was called agate. I was kind of an agate clerk and people would call in on the phone. I, this is Tennessean and, you know, what sport are you calling about? I'm calling about girls tennis. And I would take the DCA FRA tennis match. And I would take again, hole in ones from McCabe or Percy Warner or two rivers. I would take bowling scores from strike and spare. Uh, I took track and field from, you know, you name the school and I did it. And I did that for a long time. I, and, you know, got, got my foot in the door. Uh, they 
let me start writing short blurbs for uh, for the newspaper. My byline didn't appear on it. It was a, a graph about each game. It was a time when instead of doing just the agate, we write, okay, you know, uh, you know, Ron Slay, you know, I covered, you know, high school sports. Ron Slay scored 27 points and John Henderson scored 21 points and Pearl Cone beat White's Creek and Odell Bradley uh, in overtime to advance to the, you know, to the district title game. It's just short blurbs like that. And so they let me do that. And then, you know, they said, okay, well, this guy can write a little bit. He's done a little bit better than maybe some other people we've had do this. Let's let them start to cover uh, maybe a game here or there. Um, so while I was working full time at the Register of Deeds, 40 hours a week, I was working part time for the paper, working a lot of times 24, 30, 40 hours a week. I was working 75, 80 hours a week for four or five years. And that newspaper job started developing to where, okay, he did a pretty good job covering this, covering these high school games. Let them cover some small college. Wasn't glamorous. I covered the, you know, the, my first byline was on the, the uh, sailboat race. Uh, it's called the Tennessean Regatta. It was a Tennessean sponsored sailboat race in old Hickory Lake. It was probably about 38 degrees in the middle of, you know, March and I'm covering you know, a boat, and a, you know, covering a race where, uh, <laughs> in the middle of nowhere. I covered walking horse celebration in Shebbleville, Tennessee. Uh, covered a lot of stuff that nobody wanted to do, to be honest with you. But the yeah. more I did that, the more experience I got. The, you know, they gave me a chance to do more. And then I worked for, for you know, six years, uh, you know, full time and this registered deeds in the courthouse. I worked from eight to four twenty-five. I'd leave there, be at the paper on Broadway at five o'clock. Work from five to eleven, five to midnight. A lot of nights, and I'd get up and do it all over again. So I did that for five, six years. Finally, got a chance, you know, to work full time at the paper as the Tennessean, you know, prep coordinator. I was in charge of all the high school sports coverage. Had some other people I worked with then, and uh, and just kind of pay my dues. And then the Titans and Predators moved to town in the late nineties. They gave me a break and, you know, said, you know, Hey, how'd you like to cover again? The president, the Titans, I did it. And, and I kind of guess the rest is history, but it took a long time to get there. And, uh, and a lot of long hours and a very patient wife and understanding, you know, of, of what I wanted to do and my dream. And I, Finally got a chance to cover it and never dreamed I'd be covering the NFL team again in my own uh, backyard. Yeah. I, you know, that was the next thing I was going to ask you is, did you have any aspirations of going to any, any other markets that you possibly wanted to cover? Like, did you feel like to, to a certain extent, cause Nashville didn't have as many professional sport teams at the time. Like, did you ever get discouraged that your possibility of covering something in this, you know, area would be non-existent and you'd have to look elsewhere? I really didn't. I mean, to be honest with you, I mean, I, I never, I, I loved covering high school sports, you know, whether it was Tennessee, you know, whether it was basketball or football or, or wrestling or track and field, you know, uh, I loved it. I mean, cause people, you know, love seeing you at events. You got all the access you wanted. Uh, I got to me, it's crazy. Just some of the players I covered, you know, back in the day in high school and now seeing how they're, college careers win and how they've, you know, are, are 
are big names in our community in Nashville now. It was, that was fun to me. Uh, it, it was fun when I got the chance to cover, you know, some NCAA tournaments that were in town. And I never thought – I never – back then, I was – again, I was felt like I was lucky to have a job as a sports writer and, uh, and wasn't even thinking about professional – covering professional sports. I didn't think I was – cut out for that or or would ever have a chance to do that you know again I, these people come into business now and they've been to journalism school and they've had internships and and uh had all kinds of opportunities to prove themselves i just kind of got into it late and learned on the job i didn't think i was worthy of covering an nfl team anywhere uh and kind of again felt like i got lucky when the titans came to town and kind of you know, had people that looked out for me. You know, I covered the, you know, I talked to you about how I didn't know a lot about hockey and how people helped me when I started covering the Titans. You know, that I didn't know anything about the salary cap or how contracts worked or, or just how to deal with these professional players. I, you know, I covered, you know, 17, 16, 17 year old kids, you know, in high school tournaments. So, you know, Jeff Legwald is a guy who used to work in this market. He now works for ESPN in Denver. You know, Paul Kuharski, who's been, you know, in Nashville for a long time covering the Titans. Those those guys were covering the Titans when the, when the, when they were the Oilers and they moved from Houston to Tennessee. And they, again, showed me the ropes on how to do that job. And, you know, if not for them, uh, I never would have gotten into a position where I was able to be successful uh, and then just kind of, Learned on the go. Had, had good sports editors, a guy named Mike Jones, you know, Bob McClellan. You know, worked under guys like David Clymer and Joe Biddle and Larry Woody at the Tennessee and a guy named Mike Oregon who's still with the paper. All those people kind of helped me develop at a time where I didn't really know what I was doing. And then just after all the years, I finally got to the point where I felt like, okay, I can – I can do this. And then, you know, my mindset was I was just going to work, try to work harder than anybody else. I never considered myself to be the best writer out there. I never considered myself to be the smartest guy in the room, but I did always think I was going to outwork everybody. And, uh, and I, in some ways still kind of have that mindset, uh, today. I think if you treat people well, if you work hard, if, if people know you're not trying to trick them, uh, then I think you can get a long ways uh, doing the job. And uh, that's what I have to try to do over the years. And, and the timing was good for me to, to have the tights come to town and to be at the paper. And uh, I'll lead out, you know, cover the team 22, 23 years later, whatever it is longer than that. It's hard to believe how much time has flown by. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with you. I, I love the statement you made about just hard work goes a long way because in life it truly does. And I feel like that kind of gets overlooked because everybody wants that dream job immediately after they get out of school. And uh, it just life doesn't work like that. It really doesn't. No, it doesn't. I mean, you really do have to pay your dues. And I, I've seen a lot of people, young riders, you know, whatever business you're in, kind of people come and go, you know, because, you know, they get impatient or because they they, they don't want to do the dirty work or, or, you know, don't want to work weekends. I mean, you're not going to, you know, make it long as sports if you don't want to work weekends or nights. I mean, that's when most of these games are played. And, and granted, 
you know, me having this job, it, it's required a lot of sacrifices. You know, I've missed I, I, my family goes to every Titans game. You know, my wife, my son, you know, my daughter, Sydney, I mentioned earlier, you know, my son, Rhett, who went to Ryan as well. I mean, they've gone to every tight. They go to all the Titans games, but I've never been to a Titans game with them because I'm in the press box. And so I, I've, you know, I've missed that. I mean, I, I have to travel. I'm traveling to the combine right now. In Indianapolis, I'll be gone for a week. I just got back from a two-week trip where I went to the, you know, to the Senior Bowl, to the uh, Pro Bowl, to the Super Bowl. I was gone for 15 days. You know, those are the kind of things. That, that, that's great. I love doing it. Don't get me wrong. It's a, it's a, but people to pay me to cover events like that's great. But that's time away from your family. Right. You got to make stuff. You got to do stuff. Your dream was not to cover the Tennessee and Regatta boat race, or to cover the Tennessee <laughs> walking horses, or to take to take you know calls over the phone. Uh, but you got to do that kind of stuff to to make you appreciate uh, the big stuff. And uh, I think that's that's my be- best advice to people: is you got to be patient, and you got to pay your dues, and and you got to take your lumps, and um, you, know, you have good days and bad days, but um, you know it's worth it if you hang in there. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. I'm kind of dealing with that stuff now in life. I'm kind of paying my dues and trying to get into the industry. Um, but now, I mean, you know, that's the one thing that I realized because me growing up as a kid in Nashville, I remember reading your stuff in the Tennessee and like that weekend, my parents would always get the Sunday paper and it would always always read the sports section. And I saw Jim White's article and I'd always read it. And I'd always get either the the British report. We'll get into that in a second because that's become like a, a an anticipated thing every week when it comes <laughs> to sports in Nashville. You're waiting on the Titans. What are they going to wear? And you got Jim White's British report. And it seems like, well, you know, we'll get into it now. The Titans media team, they seem to have really caught on to your British report because they've turned it into a whole social media phenomenon. Like, what are your initial thoughts about that? <laughs> it's kind of crazy. You have all the stuff I do during the course of a week and the, uh, you know, the, the thing people seem to be most interested in is what the team's wearing uh, on Sundays and what color britches they're wearing. I, I, I think it's really funny how that's taken off. And, and, uh, you know, that, that started when I started working for the team in 2015, you know, uh, I thought, you know, what it'd be cool to kind of put out there during the week, what the team is wearing. And I think when I first started doing it, you know, I think I'd say, you know, the Titans were going to wear blue jerseys and, and you know, white pants. And then I, maybe one time I said, you know, white trousers. And then I, one time maybe I said white knickers. I mean, I, I think I used all kinds of different um, terminology to describe the pants instead of just saying pants. And one time I said Titans are wearing, you know, you know white jerseys with navy blue britches and for some reason, that just kind of took off. I mean, everybody loved the britches. Some people thought, okay, who's this redneck from the South using britches? I haven't heard that word since you know, my great-grandfather used it back in the 1950s or whatever. So, um, I mean, people. some people thought it was funny. Other people kind of made fun of it. But it just, you know, it generated a little bit of buzz. I could tell that on Twitter. And we can have a whole conversation about how much Twitter's changed the job as well. But Twitter, it kind of took off on social media. Uh, and when I did that, so I kind of stuck with the britches. And 
uh, and then it came a little bit and people were anticipating what days it coming out. And uh, so I would pair photos with it and it just kind of took off and uh, people, you know, kind of get hype about what the team is wearing. You know, some people love it when I love the selection. Other people hate it. You know, you're never going to get a hundred percent. I love the teams wearing this. Right. You know, other people say, well, I hate that look. That's my least favorite look, but you always get some kind of interaction or some kind of response. So yeah, at some point I'm, I'm lucky the team didn't, you know, I guess the team could have looked at it and said, Hey, you know, with the, you know, the team account ought to be putting this out. This is a, this is a big hit. You know, we should be doing this on the team account, not Jim Wyatt, the writer, you know, he's got one tenth of the following that the team does, but they kind of let it be my deal. And yeah, they now let me break it each week. And then they put out sometime, you know, within a couple of hours, their own kind of graphic that, says Jim Wyatt's Bridges Report and, and kind of reveals it in a fancier fashion than my old school way of doing it. But it is funny. Yeah, I'll write a lot of stuff and do a lot of work. And uh, a lot of times I'll see people out in public and say, man, I, they don't say I love your, I get people say I appreciate your writing or I enjoy reading this, but more times than not, it's man, I love the Bridges Report. And so it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty funny. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned Twitter and you mentioned just how social media has kind of changed your, I guess, nuance of how you do your job. And uh, I just find that interesting because it's almost like the the old school way of just writing print and paper now has to transition with the new evolution of social media and such. Like, how are you able to kind of keep keep up with, you know, the program, I guess, the best way to put it? Well, it's, it's definitely, it's changed. I mean, it's Twitter, I think I got my Twitter account in 2009. That kind of speaks to, um, that kind of speaks to when everything really started to change in my business. You know, when I first started working for the newspaper, um, you know, you would write for the next day. And when I was covering the Titans, you know, you'd write, you write, you do your reporting throughout the day. And you'd write a story for the next day's paper. You, you know, you had three different deadlines. A lot of people don't realize that. But, you know, the deadlines at the newspaper where you had like a state edition and that deadline was like 10 o'clock at night. You had to have your copy in by 10 because it was going to the paper was going to get shipped off to Knoxville or Memphis or Jackson, Tennessee. So you, know, you had to have your story. If you're covering a game, you know, it was a night game and that game ended at 950. You better get your story in at 955 if it was going to make the paper and you had newspaper editors hounding you. you would, Where's the story? You got to get the story in. So uh, you had a tenant stated that you had a city edition that you had maybe to 11, 1130 that you had to get your stories in by. Then you had what's called a catch plate edition, which was the drop dead time where you, know, you could swap out certain pages that they would let you swap out. You couldn't swap out the whole page, but you had a little bit longer deadline, but you were working to make those deadlines to make the next day's paper. And if you didn't get it in there in time, people are not going to see it, but that was your mindset. Okay. I got to get this in for the next day's paper. You'd write a story and, and that's it. Uh, then, so th then uh, the internet came along and you started writing for 
you know, the web and it was slow to start off. You know, some people used it, some people didn't. But you know, if you had a breaking news story, you had to get it up on the website as fast as possible. That started happening, I guess, probably in the 2000s, early 2000s. Twitter came along in 2009 and it completely changed the job uh, because, uh, you know, everything, you know, it was always a, a, a kind of a life consuming job covering an NFL team. But then when Twitter came along, it's really 24 seven because, you know, when you found out news or you had information, you had to get it out there as quick as possible or somebody else was going to beat you to the punch. And right. you've got the Adam Schefter's of the world and the Ian Rappaport's, Tom Pelissero's and, you know, national writers who are trying to get stories on your beat. So, you know, for me, I was a hardcore newspaper guy. My main priority when I was covering the team for the Tennessean was to break all the news, to get all these stories first. I felt like if you're covering the Tennessean, covering the Tennessee Titans for the National Tennessean, you should be breaking all the stories. Uh, not Adam Schefter, not Adam, not Ian Rappaport, not Tom Pellisso, not these national guys. You have got a job, one of 32 in the league. You should be telling people what's happening on your team. And that's whether guys are getting cut, whether they're getting fired, whether they've got an ACL, an MCL, whether they've got guys are coming in on a free agency visit, who's the team drafting, you know, Who's coming in for a trial? You know, what assistant coaches get fired? Who's at the airport coming in? You know, you got to get your first interview with them. So you've got to not only be first on that stuff, but you on social media and Twitter, you have to get it out there as quick as possible. And you're living in fear that somebody else is going to beat you to the punch. So, you know, it was it was a great job covering the team. Before the days of Twitter, when Twitter came along, it became even more of a grind. And, you know, you're you're constantly trying to get news out there first. You're constantly worried somebody else is going to scoop you on something. Uh, and you know, th then, of course, you got Instagram and you got Facebook and you've got all these other apps that you're trying to feed the public information in as timely matter as as possible and it really became kind of a life-consuming job for me when twitter came along and some of it i love and uh, i love that people are so interactive on there i love that you can get news out quick if you're a beat guy that's consumed about trying to get the news first you know if you put it out there on twitter that you know chris johnson is getting released or 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 that you know, Vince Young has been released or that, that Mike Munchak has been hired or that, you know, I, I go down the list of all these different stories, but you get out there first and everybody knows who had it. You know, there's no, you know, there's look at the time snap time stamp on there. You know who broke that story. And that was how I was consumed trying to get all those stories. And you can run yourself to the ground doing that. But that's kind of how Twitter is now. People everybody competing for stories and and just got to get it out there as, as quickly as possible again you know in the job that i have now uh working for the team you know, i'm not i don't consider myself 
quote unquote breaking stories. You know, I, I put stories out there when the team's ready for them to be released. You got other people in the market that are competing to get these stories. But you know, my job is still very stressful and very demanding and very uh, time is of great importance. You don't want to be behind on getting your stories out there and you get your stories out there by tweeting out links on Twitter and putting videos out on Twitter. You do it on Instagram, you do it on Facebook. So it's just a, it's just a 24 seven, 365 day cycle that uh, that everyone kind of lives by now. And if you're covering an NFL team, it's uh, you, know, you better be you better not step away from your phone or your computer for more than 15 minutes or you'd be embarrassed because a story can be old by the time you, you catch up to it. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Jim, we're going to get more into this. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with more with Jim Wyatt. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Nick Frazier podcast. After that quick break, I'm alongside Jim Wyatt via video call on this wonderful podcast episode. Uh, we're talking a little bit about, you know, the, how Twitter has changed your, you know, industry with print writing. And now it's like, you got to be as quick as possible to the next information that gets out there. And you have to post it to a website or a blog or social media in this case, like obviously it's changed a lot of things for you, but it's also brought a lot of cool things to go along with your job. You're posting stuff at I, recently you posted stuff at the Super Bowl. You're posting British reports with the Titans media team. And so there, there are a lot of fun pluses to all that stuff, but obviously you can throw a wrench in things. Obviously you mentioned, you know, it's a 365 day type of job and um, stuff like that. But uh, you know, let's just get into it just for a little bit. You know, you're headed to the combine. Is there anything that you like to cover stories on it, especially at the combine. Are there like specific stuff you like to talk about or no? Yeah, you went out there for a second. I'm going through the mountains here on the way to the combine. So I hope, <laughs> hope, hope uh, you can hear me okay. Uh, yeah, bars, you know, the combine is a busy day uh, for the Titans to speak media for the first time, you know, publicly since his. You know, since the senior bowl, I guess I was with him in Mobile, and uh, I know some of our people, you know, Mike Keith talked to him at the press conference since he was introduced back in January. So, Rand Carthon will talk in Indy along with a lot of other GMs and head coaches uh, on Tuesday and Wednesday, is the way that works there. They try to get the GMs, the head coaches out of the way before the prospects start coming in. So, Rand talks to Nick Vrabel. It's a pleasure to talk to him. Uh, maybe potentially have some other Titans officials talk up there as well. And then the prospects coming in. And, uh, you know, when, when I tell people that I'm going to the combine, and I've been going to these for 20 years now, I think uh, I think a lot of people think, oh, you're just going to be sitting in you know, Lucas Oil Stadium watching 40 and watching these guys do the – you know, the three cone drill and and vertical, but and you see some of that. You you have an option to go in and watch some of that stuff. But the biggest reason that I go and a lot of reason a lot of reporters go is just because of the access that you get. And you know, not only do in most cases the head coach and the GM talk, not all of them do, but it's a chance for reporters to to get to see their decision makers uh, and ask them questions. Uh, but it's also a chance. You know, to talk about these days, certain mornings set aside for when they will come into, you know, the convention center there and, and conduct interviews. And 
Mr. Bryce Young will do his thing, and and uh, you know, so Will Anderson, and you know, all the you know, seven Tennessee prospects there, and and three hundred plus, you know, prospects will. You know, you'll get a chance to interview these guys. Some of them will be on a podium. Some of them will be in a table. But it's great access, and that's really why I go, and that's why most people go. And you'll have, you know, FL Network and ESPN and riders for all 32 teams and people for the all 32 media markets and agents are here. You know, it used to be when I worked for the Tennessean, you know, the Combine was a big opportunity to try to track down some of these agents who uh, – who sometimes don't return your calls if you're trying to figure out, you know, what's going on with contracts for certain players. You, know, you can find them in Indy. Uh, there's certain establishments, you know, NFL officials will go to, and you can a lot of times find people in there. But it's just kind of a a potpourri of um, of executives and agents and media and prospects all gathered in one place, and uh, it's a whirlwind week but a very uh beneficial one if you're covering the nfl yeah absolutely you know i i've realized this in the last year or so maybe two years since you've been kind of posting stuff on social media when you go to events like this um recently you know ugo amati signed with kansas city chiefs he's an overton product here in nashville does that is that pretty cool to see like guys like from the nashville area that you get to possibly cover it the combine or or something like that is it neat to kind of give them a little taste of home even though from a reporter's perspective it is it's funny you mentioned ugo uh because i remember seeing him at the combine you know, a lot of these guys covered i've covered the Titans for a long time and a lot of these kids that are from nashville you know whether it's ugo or whether it's dawson knox or you know you name it, there's been so many players that have kind of come up through the Nashville area that have made it to, you know, college scholarships, played college and made it to the pros. And I remember when I first met Ugo was at the combine, he was just finished his career at Oregon and he was at a table and I kind of saddled up next to him and told him who it was. And he's like, Oh yeah, I know who you are. You cover the Titans. And he was a Titans fan. He followed me on Twitter. And then so to see him there, you know, and then, have him come to the Titans earlier this year, which was cool because I had a little bit of a relationship with him from our first meeting there. Then I saw he went to Kansas City. The Titans playing in Kansas City this year, you know, just a couple, just about a week after he was released by the Titans. I saw him in the hallway underneath the Arrowhead Stadium. I saw him there. And then I was at the Super Bowl and that media, Super Bowl media day. Uh, I saw him there and we chatted again. So it, it is cool for me to see these Nashville products you know, kind of enter the next step. And uh, if you've made it to the combine, you know you, you're doing something right. And there have been a lot of different occasions where, you know, kids that have asked, I remember watching Excel in high school or made Tennessee, Mr. One, Tennessee Titans, Mr. Football Award winners that go into college and are successful and then they go to the NFL and be successful. And it is it is neat for me to kind of, track those guys like whenever I go to events you know, I, I probably still got the Tennessean mindset but I still feel like they're you know, you know one of our own you know if you're, I'm covering the Titans you know in Nashville I, I feel like the local products are our products to some, to some degree so I always try to track down those guys give them some extra attention and uh, and it is neat to see them be successful.
does it do you think it makes your job a little bit easier when you, you see a guy that's a Nashville product or somebody that has a connection to the I guess Nashville scene of it all does it does it make uh, your job easier with writing something like a storyline or something of, of that nature yeah. yeah I mean I think it I think it uh I'm certainly more familiar with them and I also you know know that people in Nashville appreciate it I mean you know yeah I, I'll cover some of these top prospects you know I said, what's the crazy thing about the draft is that you know titans pick 11th you know no one knows what's going to happen right now between picks one and ten so it's hard to really forecast who the titan would even have a chance to get and then when you get to the second round you get to the third round picks you know right now no you know rain carthon could tell you who he's picking in this draft. And that's always the case. So a lot of times you'll write stories about some of these top prospects and you don't know where they're going to end up. A lot of Titans fans may hope this guy ends up with the Titans, but you, but you know, there are odds of that happening. Sometimes aren't great. You write about a local kid, then, you know, back in town that, you know, that player has a following and they appreciate somebody showing them, some attention and i think the player the prospect appreciates somebody with the hometown you know nfl team is is you know giving them a little bit of love on the website it doesn't mean the titans are picking them but you know it, it does mean that we kind of embrace you know people from the nashville area or, or from from the state of tennessee that's always how i kind of approached it and a lot of times i've covered events that you know, the Tennessean is not there. So I'm not writing about him. No one else is. And uh, so I've kind of taken it upon myself to try to find as many of these local ties as I can. Yeah, I honestly appreciate that from being an, a native perspective that I've mentioned a lot already in this episode. But uh, it, it goes a long way. And, you know, somebody on my podcast that I had, I'd say about two, three years ago, his name is Hayden Kaufman. He's a country music artist. And he had a saying that his dad told me. My dad told me this, too. It goes... You never know who's watching because, you know, they could somehow get you to your next big break or something. So, like, the the stories that you're kind of connecting from a Nashville player to the NFL, like, you never know who's who's reading or, or following that storyline because it can kind of lead you to another perspective. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I, and I, I think, you know, whether it's Ugo, who, as you mentioned, went to Overton, you know, he's got – you know, players that are there at his at that school now who he can point to and say, you know, look at look at Ogo Amati who who played here on the same field in Nashville is now at the combine and getting attention, bringing attention to John Overton High School and and uh, you know, I I think people appreciate it. Yeah, you know, I know, you know, I, I think that I mentioned earlier, you know, about how you know, when I used to cover high school sports, they loved seeing you there when you're the media. They get you could walk, you could I could stand next to the head coach on a Friday night, you know, in between the quarterback and the tight end, taking notes with my notepad. And when the game ends, I can grab these guys and you know, have full access to everything. You know, when you're in the NFL or college, you know, you lose some of that because they're not always happy as happy to see you. Uh, yeah. You know, there are restrictions you have to deal with and, and people, 
look a certain way at the, at the media and maybe don't trust you as much. But I think that you know, if you're giving love to the local kids, you know, I think it still goes a long way. And I think they always appreciate it, whether it's their families or, or coaches or teammates. I tell you, I definitely agree with you there. Now, you, you mentioned you're on your way to the Combine. Uh, do they ever have like a, a sports reporter or a journalist 40 time? Like you ever done a 40 time yet? Yeah, but they, they time those with the hourglass. Yeah, so that's why <laughs> I, 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 they need they need one of those for me. I, I don't need me to be time me in the 40 to make me look bad. Uh, I'd probably pull a hamstring doing it. So uh, luckily they don't have uh, a media combine. The Titans did years ago have kind of a Titans media mini camp where they invited all of the people who cover the team to go through a film session and go through on the field workouts. And I think there were probably two or three guys that really did get hurt that day, you know, got the <laughs> hamstrings or, or hurt of Achilles or pulled a quad. So that was a one and done deal. I don't think they wanted the liability after that event. And I'm sure the combine doesn't want a bunch of old sports riders out there getting hurt. Did they give you a new perspective on how you do your job? when they invited all the media people to do a, some sort of miniature combine at the, at the sports park? Yeah, I thought that was cool. I mean, it's it certainly, you know, you learn more about the game and the X's and O's and, and what an X receiver is doing, what a Y, what a Z. You know, I, I think part of the reason the team did it, and this is many years ago. I mean, this is probably, this has probably been 15 years ago when that happened. But I think part of the reason why, you know, the, the Titans wanted to do it, I think was, you know, Jeff Fisher was the coach at the time. I think, you know, Robbie Bourne would have been the team's media relations director. And I think I think they wanted to, you know, obviously give you a little bit more insight about what players and coaches deal with. But it also was an opportunity to kind of educate people a little bit more about the game and the ins and outs and you know, why sometimes if you've got, uh, you know, a receiver who breaks free and – and catches a ball, you know, 20 yards behind a defender's, the closest defender, 20 yards behind the closest defender goes for a touchdown. Um, maybe it's not always the cornerback on that spot. Maybe the safety had some responsibility. I think it was a way for them to educate more about, you know, other things to look for in film study about, you know, not that they're looking to try to figure out who's to blame when something goes wrong, but at least give you a different way of looking at things, whether that's, whether a receiver's running the wrong route, and that's why a quarterback throws an interception. Again, whether a, a safety misses an assignment and, and leads to a cornerback looking bad when it really wasn't his fault, whether or not, you know, an offensive lineman, you know, looks like he gave up a blatant sack when the reality is he might have been passing a guy to somebody else who passing off a guy to somebody else who didn't follow through with his assignment. I think, I think it was a way for – for you to get a different perspective on the game by doing that. And uh, I always remember that as being helpful. And I think anybody else that was maybe involved in that probably had the same opinion. Yeah, no, I agree. You know, growing up, you know, in the Nashville area, going to Ryan and playing football and playing soccer and baseball and all the above, you know, when you're a kid, you play every sport, but you know, it really gives you a, a better perspective on, you know, if you're getting into this type of industry, knowing the X's and O's kind of knowing, you know, what's next, what should be anticipated for a good story or so, so forth. Cause I feel like that's kind of uh, a lot of people that cover sports 
that really truly think they're covering sports don't really get the true essence of the game until they actually have. I don't want to say have played it because some people can't play the sport, but some people need to know the behind the scenes of it. So like having that little miniature combat, I feel like was a, a huge benefit for everybody. Yeah, I think so. And I, and I, I do think, you know, it's good for people to, to do their homework and to ask the questions and, uh, and to dig a little deeper on Sundays, whenever, you know, certain plays are in question, you know, so, so that, 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 that's a part of it. But then, you know, I, I think, you know, obviously having a knowledge of the game gives you a better idea of what to look for. I mean, I, I do think sometimes whether it's players or coaches, it's some kind of a, you know, kind of a below the belt uh, insult when they want to call out media or call out reporters. Well, this guy didn't play the game. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Because I, I don't think you have to, you, know, you don't have to play the game at a high level to be able to cover it and write with authority on it. I, I, I certainly was not a, 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 a star on the football field. I played at St. Henry's a couple of years and broke my arm making a tackle. Uh, I was 5'4", 110 pounds, and I started my senior year in high school, so I certainly wasn't going to be an, uh, a high school football star playing college, but uh, always at least tried to educate myself on the game. And I think most people that, you know, every once in a while you'll find Teron Davenport works for ESPN. He played ball in college. He, he's probably the most uh, – he's the best X and O's guy this mark has probably ever had as far as – you know, knowing the game and and uh, knowing the knowing the X and X's and O's, not everybody has that background, and you just have to try to be as good at your job and take it seriously, and not just do it flippantly, where you're just criticizing things that you don't know what you're talking about. And that, that's where I see where young reporters. Well, and, and even veteran reporters will make the biggest mistakes is they just assume something based on what they see. Uh, they either don't know, they don't find out, and then the wrong person gets you know, the blame put on him. So uh, I think it's you can approach it all in different ways, and you know, I think the biggest thing is just know as much about the game as possible. I agree. Now, Jim, I'm going to ask you two Titans questions. Uh, the first one is you got any – any hints towards certain players that might be looked at or might be in your next uh, mailbag by chance? Well, the mailbag, it seems like all the questions right now are about the draft, about Ryan Tannehill, about Derrick Henry, about some of the players that were just let go. Uh, it's, you know, I always tell people, you know, in February that, you know, it's a, it's a long haul to the draft and you got to get through free agency to really have an idea about who the team might go after in the draft. And right now the Titans are in a, little bit of a transition period with a new GM, a new offensive coordinator, you know, obviously a new way of thinking and approaching things. So um, there's a lot of uncertainty in a lot of positions, and it's hard to really say what's going to happen now. I definitely can't go down the road of telling you any free agents the team, you know, might be going after because that's since I work for the team now, I could get in trouble with tampering. Yeah, which is so that's different than when I was working in Tennessee and where I, where I used to dig. And I can tell you 
maybe with you talking to sources, maybe who this guy might be going after this guy, might be going after that guy. Actually, that's one of the biggest differences between my job now and my job then is I actually know stuff that I can't say. And, uh, uh, which is, uh, you know, people, you know, sometimes might think, well, this guy, you know, not giving up any information here. And and some of that's by, some of that's by design. Exactly. (laughs) Because if, if somebody something if somebody's telling me something privately, you know, if I tell it publicly, then I'm not gonna be working with a team anymore. Exactly. Exactly. Now I was just kind of poking at the bear a little bit, just to have a little fun. Uh, but my second <laughs> oh, question I was good. gonna ask you, you know, working for the team and you, you obviously build relationships with players. Now, what what is it for you? Do you ever get starstruck? Like when you first started working for the team, did you ever get starstruck for, you know, the athletes that were on the field or it just came natural to you? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I was more because I, you know, I had the background of covering some high schools and covering some college that, you know, this was different. I mean, and, and I knew it was different. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden you go from covering, you know, kids at the clinic bowl to now covering, you know, that, and that's kind of what happened for me. I My last year of covering high school sports, uh, I covered the clinic, which was the – state championships in, in high school and actually follow around being the NBA that year. It was 1998. And then the next year I'm covering the Super Bowl, and uh, which is crazy. Uh, but yeah, it's a different. And so I'm going from covering high school kids to covering Eddie George and Steve McNair and Frank Wachek and Jer- you know, Javon Curse and Bruce Matthews. And some of these guys have been in the league for several years. And here I am showing up with, it look like I'm fresh out of college because I always look a lot younger than uh, that I actually was at those time, and I had well, I was rock, rocking the Bama bangs and a mullet, and uh, <laughs> probably didn't, didn't know the NFL like a lot of other people then. So I wasn't starstruck. I was more nervous. I didn't want to make a fool out of myself <laughs> with these guys. But you just gotta, you know, you just gotta be around there. And, and that's one thing I always tell people. I think people respect you more if you're. And, and some jobs you can't do that it's just not your job description to be there every day but exactly i think you're people people are a little bit more understanding of you and when you criticize them or when you're writing about them if you're there every day and can and can kind of prove yourself like if i'm gonna write a story about criticizing a guy you know and, and not show up for two weeks that's kind of a cowardly move but if i'm you're writing a story and then you're showing up the next day or if a guy wants to yell at you in his locker you know you can do that, but I wasn't, I wasn't starstruck. I, I was more just wanting to make sure I you know, was trying to respectful, trying to know what I was talking about and didn't want to waste this guy's time. And then the more I was around there, the more, you know, the, the more they knew me, the more they kind of were on the same page and it just was very natural. And, and after covering guys like Eddie George and Steve there and, and some of those guys I mentioned earlier, I mean, it's it's it was easy after that. I, mean, I wasn't starstruck really by anybody. Yeah. You know, I had on a, a guest previously on my podcast, another one. His name is uh, Scott Meyer. He actually played football at Alabama for, I think, two to three years. And then he ended up transferring to Vanderbilt. 
And uh, I asked him, I was like, what was the big difference between, you know, playing at Alabama and then playing at Vanderbilt? Like, did you ever get starstruck when you, you know, were, were recruited by Vandy to play? He goes, no, not really. Like, that's the expectation. Like, if you come in there with a professional attitude, like, you're going to come out as a professional. So uh, that's kind of what he got out of it. And then when he moved over to Vandy, transferred to Vandy, uh, this was before the NIL, before all that, you know, transfer portal stuff. He had to graduate before he could transfer. And uh, so he he told me, because I asked him, I was like, did any was anybody starstruck by you going to Vandy? He goes, they weren't really starstruck, but they were more of just asking for questions. Like, what what's different from the coaching style at Alabama to the coaching style at Vanderbilt? Like, how can they improve and stuff like that? I just, I found that interesting. I kind of ask that question all the time to people in this industry or in a certain sport because – some people have said yes. Like, yeah, I was kind of starstruck. I was fanboying or fangirling to whoever was out there on the field or, or ice or rink, whatever. So I just I always think it's an interesting question to ask. Yeah, and I, and I think that's one thing where I was lucky that I had, you know, good mentors or people that kind of took me under their wing is that, you know, I've seen people come in, you know, you know whether it's after a game or covering the team, coming to the locker room for the first time, and they're, I don't know, I've, seen, I've actually seen people try to get, take a picture with a player, or get an autograph, or, hey, can you get sign this for my kid? I mean, that's that's a big no-no. I mean, you, you got to develop a working relationship with these people and and can't put them on a pedestal. You, you just got, there's just got to be mutual respect there, and, and you got to respect their time. You got to respect, you know, their opinions, you got to, you got to treat, treat them well, like I said, and, and, uh, you know, you can't be looking at somebody like they're a star or they're untouchable. And then you're cut right in the game about them and writing a story about them. And you got to offer a fair critique of how they played. I mean, you got to be, right. uh, you got to kind of tell it like it is. And you can't do that if you're blinded by, you know, their stardom. So, it was never really like that for me. And again, I, I give credit to the people who I, uh, who I worked under as they made that clear as, Hey, this is a job. This is not a hobby. This is not, you know, something you do to you can get some autographs or, or say you hung out with Eddie George. I mean, you're there to work and you're there to, to not just be there for that day, but to be there for the next week and for the next you know season and for years to come. And that's, you know, I see Eddie now. That's, Eddie didn't know me from the man, the moon, when I came rolling in there in 99 and, and, uh, but he always treated me well. And here I see him now, you know, 20, 22, 23, 24 years later, however long it's been and got a great relationship with Eddie George and, and I have so much respect for him. And he remembers me when I was just starting out and, and, uh, it's just crazy how kind of time flies and, and how, you know, these players now, some of the players I covered my first years with the Titans now had, you know, kids playing in the NFL, which is just crazy to me. Right. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you there, Jim, because people to, to today's date, you know, thinking about it, you, you, there's a there's a time and place to do stuff like that, to be, you know, affected by the stardom. Because, like you said, it's a job. Like, yeah, it's cool to work in sports, but there is a criteria that goes along with it. You got to make sure you're professional about your work and uh go go along for the ride with it but like you said there's definitely a time and place for it elsewhere yeah and i think and the reality is i mean it, it's different again my job is completely different now than it was my first 15 years covering the team and now that i work for the team i, I want the team to do well i've got 
you know, my relationships with some of these guys are different now because we're on the same team. I, I want, you know, not that I ever didn't want people, people to do well that I was covering, but obviously I want the Titans to win now and want guys to have success. And, and, you know, they trust me now because I'm in the building and, and they know I'm not going to burn them on stuff. But when I'm covering the Titans for the Tennessean, I wasn't a, I wasn't a fan of the Titans. I mean, that, that's what people, I think sometimes, you know, are critical of people in the media that cover the team, whether it's again, Troy Davenport or, or Teresa Walker or, or Buck Rising or Sam Phelan or Terry McCormick or John Glennon or David McClear, all these people that are around, you know, Kowarski, I don't know if I mentioned him. I mean, these people are not fans of the Titans. I mean, they're, and they're not supposed to be fans of the Titans to cover the team, to give an unbiased opinion of, of how the team's playing, how players are performing, how a coach is, is, is handling things on Sundays, how the GM is doing and acquiring talent. And they're not in the press box. At least they're not. I never was in the press box, you know, clapping my hands or, or rooting for the Titans to make a game winning field goal at the end. I was there trying to do my job and to be fair and balanced and and uh, and trying to be, get my story out before deadline and and write uh, do interviews in a respectful manner and if the team won then you know, the fans were excited about it if the team lost and you write the story and you move on to the next one. I had family members that were upset when the Titans would lose because I remember I mentioned that my, my wife and kids go to the games. My father's been a season ticket member. You know, from the time that stadium opened up, they all loved the Titans. But when I was working for the Tennessean, you know, I wasn't a fan of the team. I used to do picks of the Titans, you know, I'd pick games, you know, every Sunday morning. I'd have, you know, you know, Titans 20, Steelers 17 was my prediction that day. Or I'd have, you know, Steelers 24, Titans 20. And I, people would get mad at me, like, how could you not pick the Titans to win this game? And, uh, I wasn't doing it as a fan. I was doing it as a reporter, trying to be objective and not partial. And uh, I think that's what people don't sometimes lose sight of is you know, I've noticed on social media or Twitter where people are calling out reporters for not supporting the team or writing something critical of the team. You know, that's kind of their job. Their job is not to be a you know, fanboy or to be trying to root for them. And um, that's that, that's one thing that, again, changed with my job. But uh, I, I don't know that everybody really understands that part of it. Yeah. Well, you know, this is one thing you probably can fanboy about. It's this next segment on the podcast called Meals with Meatball. There are two lists, Tennessee Tasties, Nashville Nasties. Tennessee Tasties, you get three places that you you love here in the Nashville or Tennessee area, which of the other. I know you're on the, the road a lot, so you can give a celebrity – a celebrity pick if you want, but uh, give me your top three places here in the Nashville area you really enjoy eating at. Well, this is I'm not going to give you real fancy places because I usually don't eat uh, a lot of fancy places in town. I sometimes, you know, eat at some obviously some different restaurants on the road uh, when I'm in different towns. When I'm in Nashville, I usually go out with the family. Uh, my wife and I and kids love going to Rose Peppers over in East Nashville. Great Mexican food. Um, that's one of my favorite. I think, I, think it's, I think it's on Eastland in East Nashville. And uh, love rose peppers. Uh, I love, this is old school here, and this is not fancy at all, but 
I love going to Satco, which is Santa. People, you know, people from Nashville know what Satco is. Other people not from Nashville think it's San Antonio Taco Company, which yeah. is an old dive off over by Vanderbilt that's been there forever. Love going to Satco, eating on the eating outside underneath the trees. Um, and then um, I'm a big fan of because my wife doesn't like it. So I, if you catch me going through a takeout at Payway in Brentwood, those are the places. I had, if I had three places to eat, it would probably be Rose Peppers, Satco, or maybe pick pick up a little takeout at, at uh, Payway would do the trick for me. Now, I know, you know if I had a bigger budget, I'd probably, uh, you know, Southern Oyster and Steakhouse is a great place. I've mm. eaten there twice. Usually it's for a special occasion. I'm not going to list that as one of my top three because people think I'm a regular. I hear Kane's Prime, Kane Prime and some of the – I could tell you a lot of other places that I've heard are great, but a lot of them I, I don't frequent because uh, I'm usually looking to save a little money. Now, if we're talking out of town, uh, you know, in Baltimore – you know, Jimmy's famous seafood has got some of the best, got the best crab cakes, I think, in Baltimore. I always love going to Baltimore because I love crab cakes. When I'm out in Los Angeles, whether it's covering the Rams, you know, I always go to uh, Killer Shrimp at Marina Marina Del Rey. Uh, you know, that could probably give you a different spot. And uh, Joe, Joe's Crab House, not, not Joe's Crab Shop, but Joe's Stone Crab down in Miami is a great place uh, to get some big stone crab. Uh, I could give you a lot of out-of-town restaurants because I've discovered those over the years. Yeah, I, I'm sure of it. I mean, you're on the road almost 24-7 is what it sounds like. And, man, I, it it seems like your palate is well-trained. Is that is that a good way to put it? I would say so. I, I don't, I'm not extravagant with, with some of the restaurants I go to. Like the famous place in Indianapolis is St. Elmo's. But you, know, you go and eat at St. Elmo's, you're going to walk out with a, a $100, $120 you know, bill yeah. by the time you get the get the shrimp cocktail and the steak dinner and a drink. I, I usually, you know, I, I, don't, I've, I have never been to St. Elmo's Steakhouse. And everybody else will tell you it's the best place to eat in Indianapolis because I usually, I got an expense report I got to deal with. I'd rather save my money using on something else and eat at Harry and Izzy's which is a good spot in Indy or, or go to, there's a great place, Iorias, and the best place I eat in Indy is Iorias, which is an Italian place on College Street in Indianapolis. I'm sure I'll eat there at least once while I'm up there. That's that You can get out of there for 20, 25 bucks. Hey, that's my kind of eating right there, Jim. I used to have some manicotti. I don't know if that's on the menu anymore, but it got some good lasagna, uh, chicken parmesan. Hey Jim, that's if you ever if you ever come around this area where I'm recording at, let me know because uh, I think you know my grandparents had a restaurant off Thompson Lane called Lorenzo's, and uh, you know that there's still food being made in the kitchen if you know what I mean. I mean I, I help out every now and then, so <laughs> if you ever want some good lasagna or chicken parm, just let me know. They closed when I was born, so I was that was the kind of the thing. Oh, so okay, they, okay, yeah. So it closed but, around but you know, some of the, so. you know some of the you know some of the secret recipes. Indeed. Hey, they're all up here, all up in the noggin. That sounds oh, pretty man. good. So, yeah, I do try to get out and have some some good meals uh, when I'm on the road. But uh, And that's one cool part about it, but no matter where you go. But, like, I love going to Houston because you eat at Nipah's or you go to Papacitas or Papa Doe's. One of them's a Cajun place. One of them is Mexican. Um, you know, 
been to all these cities now that I usually know the place to go or somebody's giving me recommendations on where to go. So my restaurant recommendations, to be honest with you, are better outside of Nashville than they are in Nashville because I always end up going to the same spots. Ladies and gentlemen, we're back. Uh, cut off there a little bit, but uh, Jim was talking about some great places to eat outside of the Nashville area. I mean, he he's on the road 365 days a year just about. And, man, it, it's almost like you could make a story out of just all the places you, you've, you've eaten outside of Tennessee. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's definitely uh, one of the side perks of the job is you get to try some different cuisine and to try some different restaurants. So I do enjoy it. And this is a busy time. Usually, you know, usually the road trips in the fall are quick. You're, you leave on a Saturday, you're back in back in Nashville on Sunday night. At least now that I work with a team, it's on, on the team plane. I'm in and out. It's a lot quicker. But some of these trips uh, during the off season gone for longer periods of time. So yeah, I have been to a lot of restaurants outside of uh, Nashville and different cities. Can definitely give you some good, uh, give you some good tips and uh, a lot of places. Oh yeah. Well, Jim, the last thing I'll tell you about a recommendation here in Nashville: Big Al's. I think Kitchen and Deli is what it's called off Coffee Street. Probably one of the best restaurants you'll go to. It's it's interesting because it's in like a a neighborhood area, and you got to park on the side of the street, and you're walking in, and man, it's probably some of the best jerk chicken you'll ever have. Okay, I'll have to check that out. Yeah, big, yeah. big aisles, huh? Highly recommend it. Highly recommend it. And uh, so, yeah, Jim, greatly appreciate you coming on. Any last words you want to tell anybody that listens or follows your content? Yeah, I appreciate everybody following. I guess the best way to get me is uh, at Jay White on Twitter, at Jay White on Instagram, you know, Facebook. They've got a cap for some reason on how many people can follow you on that. I put all my stories on there. but and then the Titans, uh, TennesseeTitans.com is where you can find my stuff. You know, Mike Keith, Damian Wells with the team do a great job with the OTP, uh, with the team's podcast. And, and our video team does a lot of great work. Got a good photographer, Donald Page, who puts out a lot of great content for the website. So, uh, you know, TennesseeTitans.com is where you can find my stuff on a regular basis. And uh, hopefully this Titan season in 2023 will be better than the one in 2022 hopefully it ends with uncle lombardi on broadway yeah that'd be nice take, there you uh, go. Take well, Jim, lombardi oh, down to big owls and uh, have some jerk chicken there you go exactly exactly well jim i greatly appreciate you coming on and uh, safe travels on on your way to the combine and on the way back and uh, we'll see you back here in nashville okay appreciate it thanks for having me on thanks jim appreciate you